Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Bridgie continues to teach from Romans chapter 7 on how Jesus is our deliverer from the life that is dominated by sin and its effect which is death. Tune in to learn more. So we are in the book of Romans and what, what have we been studying so far? Gospel according to Apostle Paul. In the Bible, we see gospel according to uh, Matthew, gospel according to Luke, gospel according to Mark, gospel according to John. And in the book of Romans, we actually see the entirety of the gospel according to Apostle Paul. And it is, you know, with great reverence that we should approach this topic because the more we encounter the gospel, the more we understand the gospel, the more we will understand Jesus. See, this is the season we are falling in love with Jesus. And it is not possible that we fall in love with Jesus if we don't understand the gospel. We can't fall in love with a Jesus, with a God that we have no clue about, that we have no understanding about. And that's what we are doing in this season. We are reading scriptures to understand what he does in our life, what he did in our life and what he will do in our lives in the days to come. Amen. Today we are in chapter 7. Let's begin with verse 1. Okay. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? The context for this is that we spoke about death in an entire chapter. Okay, do you remember what we studied last time? Chapter 6, what were we talking about? Dying, dying, dying with Jesus. When we are baptized, we, we are dead in Christ. We, 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 we are dead and we were buried with Christ Jesus. And, and, and that dying broke the slavery, the obligation to live as sinners. That dying has broken it, right? Now, Paul is continuing the same understanding in chapter 7. And he says, hey, don't you know that the law is applicable only when a person is living. See, he's, he's asking you, aren't you familiar with this concept already? Are you ignorant or are you not understanding of this thing? That, that this uh, whole concept of the Old Testament law, you know, in the Old Testament, they had these five books in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, these books were called Torah or the books of the law. Okay, and these books contained so many instructions and, and uh, uh, laws and regulations and rules about how they should live. And the Bible says, and Paul says, don't you know that this law is applicable in your life only as long as you are alive? So he's in fact saying, not only is this law um, applicable on your life. Now this law governs your life. It has dominion over your life. It, this law begins to dictate what happens when you make a mistake. The law doesn't just tell you what to do, but the law also tells you what you become or what happens off of you when you don't do that. There are curses that are spoken under the law. There are blessings that are released in the law. And he says, this law, it technically has dominion over our lives as long as we are alive. Just like, you know, we read in chapter 6 of how sin has dominion. You remember that? We were talking about how all of us, we were once slaves to sin. Now here it says, hey, now the law begins to have dominion over our lives. And, and it is only possible to the point that we are alive. So... This, this dominion or this jurisdiction that the law has that is broken the moment a person dies. So to explain the concept, he is giving the example of marriage. Let's read verse 2. It says, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage 
no longer apply to her. This is an example, okay? He's talking about how a man and a woman, they are bound together when they are married. And he says, this law, it binds them. There is a, there is a binding force around their lives, you know, which can, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in multiple formats. For some people, it is a good thing. And for some people, that can in fact be a bondage. If you're married to the wrong person, that can be a bondage. But it is the law that has kept you in that bondage. And it says, hey, this, don't you know that as long as the husband is alive, you are in that bondage. You are bound to your husband. And it says that when he dies, when he, when he or one of the persons in the marriage dies, then that law does not apply anymore okay so there is a law that is keeping two people in bondage in a binding force uh, but when the person when one of the people in the in the thing is removed for example if two people have made a covenant with each other promise with each other saying i'm going to take care of you or i'm going to give you so much money or i'm going to do this for you now, that is applicable only till the person who is benefiting from it is alive. But the day that he passes away or the day that he dies, then you don't have to pay him anymore. Then you don't have to feel guilty about the fact that I'm not able to do this because now there is nobody left to keep that promise to. Yeah? You understand the concept? He's giving us this example to explain. Let's read verse 3. It says, So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. So if she would walk away free when her husband is still alive, that is unlawful. That is not allowed. Which means that there are bondages that we can be in that are lawful, that are legal. And you're not allowed to walk out of that bondage till a certain transaction happens. You know, what he's trying to say is, hey, when two people are married, right? One person, if that person goes out of the marriage and gets married to somebody else, that person will be called an adulterer. That person will be called, uh, in names, you know, the law will call the person names and give punishments, all of that, right? So in other words, when when we, you and I, when we want to experience freedom in certain areas of our lives and we still have covenants with certain people that we have not broken those covenants, if we try to walk away, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's illegal for you to walk away. In the spirit realm, you cannot just walk away from bondages. You have to die in that particular relationship or something has to die something has to be cut off before that bondage that is made is broken and taken out otherwise it's technically illegal so that's why you cannot just come to church every sunday and say pastor i have a bondage please break it it's illegal for me to do that unless you're willing to make certain sacrifices you're willing to make certain changes you're willing to do uh, you know some differences till the time that doesn't happen it's illegal for you to make those changes does it make sense now let's read it on uh, read on in verse 3 it says so while her husband is alive she would be committing adultery if she married another man but if her husband dies then she is free from that law and then she's not in fact committing adultery when she remarries so it is necessary that it's a process it's not just you know okay today i feel like walking away so i just walk away no it's not it's not just that it's a process where you say okay wait i i i i have to die or he has to die somebody has to die and get out of this so that we can resolve this bondage verse 4 so he's explaining what it means so my dear brothers and sisters this is my point you died to the power of law when you died with Christ. You see, in chapter 6, what is he saying? You died to the power of sin. You remember that? He is trying to explain when you died with Christ, sin no longer has hold on you. Now he's saying, 
when you died with Christ, not only did you die to sin, you also died to the power of law. The power that law has over you. I'll explain what law means during the remaining part of this chapter. But for now, do you understand the, the analogy that he's bringing? He's saying the law is also a kind of a husband. And, and you are bound to the law till the time this marriage is dissolved. So he's saying... You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, when you got baptized, when you, when you confessed publicly that Jesus is your Lord. You died to your old husband and as a result, uh, and, and, and what happened? And now you are united with the one who, has, who was raised from the dead and as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So you see three things are happening there. One is that you died to the power of the law. Second is that you are now united with Christ who was raised from the dead. And third, now you are able to produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Okay, three things. What are the three things? Dying, union, and reproducing. So if you, if you understand the concept of marriage, Jesus said it like this. God said it like this in the Garden of Eden. Jesus repeated it. Paul repeated it. A man will leave his father and mother and he will cleave to his wife and they both will become one flesh. So the leaving requires sacrifices, cutting ties. The leaving requires you to die to certain relationships. See, till the time you are not married, you're obligated to serve your parents. You're obligated to serve your family. But the day that you marry, that obligation is broken. Those ties have to be cut. If those ties are not cut, then you cannot be fully married. Come on, any married people in the house, you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, this is how biblical marriage works. These ties need to be cut. A man will leave his father and mother. Then... He will cleave to his wife or he will be joined to his wife that God has given him. Then the third, the Bible says, then they both become one flesh. Then they both reproduce. Then they have children. Okay. So this is the process that we have to go through. You remember I told you that, you know, walking away from a bondage is not just, you know, you just walk away, but there is a process to it. This is the process. You know what we do? We jump to the third point. We want to have children right away. We want to have results right away. We want to have, you know, you know, show me some change in your life where there is no dying, there is no union with Christ, but then you're expecting change of life. How can that happen? See, change of life happens at the, at the third level. And the whole church globally, you know, pastors, teachers, we are all divided in three, three categories. Some people just say, oh, wait. All we want is union with Christ. We just have to be one with Christ, you know, nothing else. Some people, they just do a PhD in breaking old ties, you know. They just, they just you know, day in and day out, they are just sitting and breaking generational curses, you know. They, they don't go further than that. And, and some people, they are just, you know, telling people how good they should be, how, how their lifestyle has to be changed. And they're focusing on the behavior part, on the, on the producing the harvest of good deeds part. But then all three is necessary. The middle guy looks at these guys and says, these guys are legalists. Those people call these people and say, eh, these guys are hyper grace theologians. And then they, you know, look at somebody else and says, man, these guys, you know, uh, a nutcase. He doesn't understand the power of God. But then all the three is necessary. What does it say here? Let's read the verse again. Verse 4. This is the point. You have to die to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now... You are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, you can now produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So that's a process. A on a daily basis, you have to be willing to die to yourself. Now, I'll explain what yourself means during the remaining part of this chapter. You have to die. You have to die to the old man. You have to die to sin. You have to die to the obligations of the law. And you have to be united with Christ. You have to remain in Jesus. You have, to, you have to spend time in prayer. You have to spend time in worship. You have to spend time reading the word. You, you cannot just 
focus all your time in breaking bondages and not becoming one with Jesus. And as a result, you have to produce good works. You have to produce results. You know, it's, it's not possible you, that you can be in union with Christ and you don't produce good works. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible that you're spending so much time with God that you don't know how to now be kind to your spouse. Because Jesus said it like this. John said it like this. Hey, if you don't love these people that you can't, you can see, how can you love God who cannot, who you cannot see? If you're saying that you love God but you cannot love the people around you, then you are a hypocrite. You actually don't have the light of God living in you. That's what he says. So it has to automatically result in a harvest of good deeds. That is a wholesome Christian life. We, we have to die on a daily basis. We have to disconnect ties that are coming from different places. Then we have to run to the presence of Jesus. And as a result, we have to produce good works. Amen? But if you, if you fail to do this, if you fail to go through this process with Jesus, we will eventually end up producing whatever we are married to. Some of us, we are married to the flesh. Some of us, we are married to the letter of the law, which is to religion. Sometimes we think that, oh, as long as I'm not living like the sinner who goes to the, you know, all these sinful places and does all these sinful things, but I'm going to church and I'm being a religious person, I'm all right. No, the, the danger is there here in the church as well. You need to break the patterns of, we cannot become a religion. This cannot become a religious system. We are serving a living God. We are serving a person who talks to us. We are serving a person who has feelings. We have to walk with him, journey with him on a daily basis to understand what he wants and what he desires. That's the only way we will be able to bear fruit. Or else what, what we'll bear is religious nuts. We'll not be producing harvest for God. What does it say? A produce a harvest of good deeds for God. No, we'll not do that. We will just produce a harvest for the church. We'll just, you know, fill empty chairs in church. We'll just, you know, do some uh, favor to some people who are coming in church and just, just make a big religion out of, you know, being able to uh, do your routine week after week. No, that's, that's not what it takes to walk with God. What it takes to walk with God is a lifestyle of dying, a lifestyle of union, and a lifestyle of producing fruits. Come on, say this with me. You died, you united, and you reproduced. One more time, you have to die. In other words, you have to leave. You remember the marriage example? You have to leave, you have to cleave, and you have to become one. Only then we will be able to produce harvest unto God. Verse 5, he says, When we were controlled by our old nature. You, you see the phrase there, were, which means past tense. This was how it was back in the day before we had Jesus in our life. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And, and what did the law do? And the law, it aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. I, I want you to understand this word by word. Now, see, if you're living in the flesh, that is our old life, our past life, you know, we, we will be trapped by sin. We will be, even without our knowledge, we will be living in sin. We will be united, in fact, with our old husband. But see, this is what the law does. The law, it awakens our desire for sin. Awakens our desire for sin. And the natural question to ask is, why is the law bad? Is the law an evil thing that the law awakens my desire to sin? It's like this. See, when a child is ignorant, okay, you, you, know, you don't tell him what to do, what not to do, he may or may not put his hand into the socket. But the day that you teach him, it's wrong to put his hand in the socket. From that day, it becomes his life goal to put his hand in the socket. What happened? The law that I gave him, the knowledge of the law, it aroused that desire to now 
go against the law, to break that law. So till the time he didn't know that it is wrong to put his hand in the socket, he may do it, you know, and he will just get away with it. Like, because he's like, what's the big deal? I got shot. But the day that you tell him not to put it, you know, I'm telling you after that, it becomes so hard to keep them away from the electric sockets because they just want to test and taste and see what it feels like for 240 volts to pass through your body. They don't know the, the seriousness of it, but the lawgiver knows how serious this is. And they, they just want to, I just, I just, one time I just want to taste it. One time I'd like to smoke. One time I'd like to just get drunk. One time I'd like to be high. You know, you know we, we use these words and then there, is, then there is people who are, you know, who are on the other side and who are saying, man, you have no idea. You, sh- you should not be tasting this. This is not good for you. But the more the law is given to us, the more it awakens that desire, it arouses the evil desire and it produces, what does it produce? It produces evil deeds and it ultimately, it results in death. Okay? Verse 6. Everybody say, but now. You remember verse 5? What did verse 5 say? But you were. Which is the past. Verse 6. It says, but now. Everybody scream, but now. It says, we have been released from the law. Why? For we died to it and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. So in other words, in the old life, we were living in the flesh. We were living in... Uh, you know, the obligation to the law, you know, as long as we were alive, we, uh, you know, it could be different types of laws that, that we were exposed to, okay, for the Jews, it was the Torah, the Mosaic law, for, for us, when we grow up, our parents, they teach us certain cultural things, and they say, hey, you cannot cross this boundary, you cannot go beyond this point, they, they put a law around you, yeah, and the, and the Bible says that, naturally we gravitate towards breaking this law when we are living in the flesh when we are living for our own selves we are technically also living in the obligation to law but he says but now that we have died to it what is it we have died to flesh we have died to the law as well he says now we can serve god now even while we are serving god there are two ways to serve god do you see the two ways there What are the two ways? It says, now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. So which means there is a category of Christians. There is a category of believers who actually serve God by obeying the letter of the law. They're like, okay, they they go through Genesis to Revelation. They try to make sure everything is done as it is. Even serving God, we can do it by obeying the letter of the law. But he says, no, no, no. That's not how we have to serve God now. Now, we have to serve God in the new way of living in the spirit. Or a new way. The, the, the old way was, see, this is why a lot of people get confused when they come to church for the very first time. Because they're like, wait a minute, okay, so back when I was a... Uh, unbeliever i had to live according to other people's my my parents expectations i had to live according to my family's expectations or at least the expectations of my culture of my my city my nation that was the that was the expectation that i had to live with okay now that i'm part of this church what are the rules in this church tell us what what do i need to do you know what should i wear and they they just want to do everything possible to please god by keeping what this church tells them to do or what a pastor tells them to do. And the Bible says, you can serve God like this. There is a whole group of people that serve God like that. But the Bible says, that is not how we want to serve God. We want to serve God not in the old way, but in the new way. Okay, the the other translation says, not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. Say this after me, oldness of the letter or the newness of the spirit. That is how you and I are supposed to serve God. So, so we have this option. Do we want to serve God in the old way of just, you know, 
uh, oh don't do this do this you know be don't be like this be like this or we want to live in the spirit what it means to live in the spirit we'll understand in chapter 8 but that is what paul is inviting us into following jesus is not religion if you follow jesus to make it a religion then you've lost the whole point if you you've, you've just made jesus into one of those religious leaders who give you do this don't do this do this don't do this and and you'll be fine no that's that's not what it is following jesus is a life in the spirit say it with me not oldness of the letter but the newness of the spirit one more time i don't want to live in the old way of the letter but i want to live in the new way of life in the spirit verse 7 he's saying well then am i suggesting that the law of god is sinful am i suggesting that the the instructions that god gave from genesis to deuteronomy that is bad am i suggesting that all the expectations your family your parents had for you for your life that that was wrong am i saying that 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 the law was bad absolutely no of course not in fact it was the law that showed me my sin i would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet so what did the law do the law it it just help you recognize you know there are people that are color blind yeah and then there are these uh, videos that we see on instagram of of people that wear these uh, spectacles for the very first time and they begin to see colors and they break out in tears because they have never seen or understood the difference between these colors and that's what the law does the law it helps you to recognize what sin is and what sin is not the law helps you to understand that so is the law bad no the law is not bad see i'll explain this to you okay if you go uh, to the uh the garden of eden god told them something what did god tell them there are two trees in the middle of the garden one is the tree of life and the other is the tree that carries the knowledge of the good and evil okay and god said don't eat from the tree that gives you the knowledge of good and evil but instead you have to pursue life you have to pursue the tree of life but what did they pursue they went after the knowledge of good and evil and and that is where law started that is where law began from then see before they were in the in, in the garden of eden do you know that they they didn't know that they were naked but as soon as they ate of this knowledge of good and evil all of a sudden the bible says they were filled with shame because now they have understanding of things that they did not need they have understanding of things that they did not require is the tree in itself wrong or bad no but that was not meant for you that was not meant to be your portion your portion was supposed to be the tree of life because as long as you can go to the tree of life as long as you can go to receive life even if say for example for whatever reason you have put your hand into the socket and you got a 240 volts electricity uh, you know running through your body you go back to the tree of life you will be restored but what did these guys choose they chose to go to the knowledge to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of going to the tree of life and 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 that's what he's saying hey i'm not saying that this knowledge is bad I'm not saying that the law is bad. I'm not saying that uh, the instructions is bad. And I'll tell you this. Many people will do this. They will come to church week after week and they will just, you know, they have amazing memory power. They can write down the sermon as it is. And do you know what happens? What I'm teaching to you will become law unto you. If you don't go back to life if you don't go back to the author of life you if you don't go back to jesus who is able to give you life then you will just make this another religion 
whatever pastor says, I just have to do that. I just have to live like that and I, everything will be all right. No. See, the instructions are not bad. The instructions are necessary. Even in the Garden of Eden, before sin happened, did God give them an instruction? Come on. Did God give them an instruction? What was the instruction? Don't eat of this tree. So there was a law even before, you know, any of this happened. God gave them an instruction. But the thing is, after they ate of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, they automatically started seeing God's law as something that is going to destroy them. They began to run away from God. They began to hide from God. They, they, they didn't have the guts to now face God. I'll explain this in the coming verses. It says, verse 8, but sin, what did sin do? But sin, everybody say used, which means the the command was not bad, the law was not bad, the instruction was not bad, but what did sin do? But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. He's telling about the, the command called you should not covet. And he says, sin, it used this, uh, this command to arouse this desire within me. But if there was no law, sin would not have power. So, so what happened? It says that the serpent, when he came into the Garden of Eden, he was not talking about anything else. He wanted to straight go to what God had told them not to do. The same command that God gave them is what the serpent used to trap them. Can you imagine this? Can you, can you imagine the gravity of this? Serpent did not show them Bollywood movies or, you know, or, or things in the world. The serpent used God's voice to trap them. Think about it for a second. The serpent used the instructions that God gave them to deceive them. The serpent used the same revelation of God's expectation from their life to now deviate their life. The serpent came and asked, did God tell you not to eat from this particular tree? The same thing that God had asked, you know, the, he started trying to use that. And it says, that's what sin does. Sin uses the command that God gives us to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within us. See, before the Garden of Eden, there was no sin in Adam and Eve. But something happened when Adam and Eve obeyed the serpent. Now this sin, which was external, which was outside of Adam and Eve, now came inside of Adam and Eve. Now you and I, we don't need a serpent coming and telling us. Automatically, we, 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 when from the time we are children, nobody has to teach us to sin. Do you understand that? Do you know that? Your family don't have to tell you to lie. You know, your fam you, you may be in the most godly family, but, but the children, they can grow up and, and, and we can do the most weirdest of things that our parents never taught us to do. Why? Because sin is not external to us anymore. It is now inside of us. In the Garden of Eden, it was external. A serpent had to come and, you know, like actually visibly deceive Adam and Eve into taking the sin in. But for us, it's the other way around because sin is inside of us. It says the sin uses the command that God gives us to arouse all kinds of desires. Now, see, so that is where we have to say, God, I just don't want to be stuck with a revelation of your expectation. I now want to go a little further to receive the power to do what you expect of me. What we do is we, we just come to church and we are like, okay, let me listen to the word. We, we listen to everything that God wants me to do and we go and try to do it by our own strength. That is where we lose. And here it says, hey, we, have, we cannot, we cannot, we, nobody, Christians, non-Christians, nobody can actually please God on their own. We cannot live for God in our own ability. No matter how many sermons you've heard, how many, how many revelations you've received, you cannot live for God. You need the strength that God gives. That is why we have to continue to go back and depend on this tree of life to, to, to fill us with power. Not just, not just instructions, but now with power to do what God wants us to do. So verse 9, it says, At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, 
the, the, the power to sin, the power of sin came to life. This is like a little child when you tell them uh, that there is electricity in the sockets. You should not put your you know, hand into the socket. Says that desire, that power of sin automatically comes to life as soon as I tell him not to do it. Till the time he doesn't know it, no problem. But the day that he knows it, it says the power of sin, it comes to life at the introduction of the law. Okay, see there are three levels of living in living for God. The first level is living in the flesh. The second level is living in the law. And the third level is living in the spirit. Some of us, we get stuck when, with the living in, in, in the flesh. We, we are never taught the right things. We are, we are never exposed to a right way of living. We are, nobody told us this is how God wants us to live. And we get stuck with the life of flesh. And then there are others who, who've been in church environments or who've been Christians, who've been believers. And, and you got the privilege of coming into a church and being taught the word of God. And now you are uh, living in the law. But that's also not enough. Now we need to graduate from living in the law to living in the flesh where we go beyond just, you know, living as carnal people, beyond living as religious people to now living in the spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So he says, at one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, the power of sin, it came to life. Verse 10, and what happened? And I died. So this is what I discovered. I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, what did it do? It brought spiritual death instead. The same voice of God that is bringing life to somebody else can bring death to somebody else. It depends on what you do with that voice. If you just get satisfied with that instruction and you just use that as a letter of the law, then you will die. Then, then you, you will kill everything around you. It's like this. Can you imagine Abraham? He heard from God. What did God tell him? Go and sacrifice your only son on, on the mountain. Now, Abraham had heard from God. Now, if Abraham said, this is it, my life will be successful as long as I can kill Isaac. And he would have just gone ahead with it. And he went, here on the mountain, there are angels speaking, God is speaking, no, no, no. I, I know what God has said and this is it, this is my life's goal now. I have to somehow kill Isaac. Tell me this, do you think he would have been he, 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 he kept the letter of the law if he would have killed his son Isaac? Yes, he would have kept the letter of the law. But that was not living in the spirit. What happened? Because he was not listening to God's voice now. Because if, if he didn't listen to the voice of God on the mountain, he would have ended up killing his son Isaac, which was not God's will for his life. And so many of us, we have heard one word from God 20 years back. And we, we are not hearing God's voice today. We are not living in the spirit today. We are stuck to the letter of the law. In 1987, God told me this. And that's, no, no. I want you to know. I want you to seek God. I want you to pray. Find out what is God telling you today. What is the heart of God for your life today? That is what it means to be a man or a woman of the spirit. We'll go into it in detail in chapter 8. But, but I want you to get a glimpse of what it means to live in the spirit because the same commandment which is supposed to bring you life is bringing you what death let's read it once again it says so i discovered the lost commands which was supposed to bring life it brought spiritual death instead what did sin do verse 11 sin took advantage of those commands and did what and deceived me. It used the commands to in fact kill me. You know, the enemy, he is so smart at doing this. He will, he will first come and deceive you, tell you that God's voice is not important and once you, you know, disobey God, once you do something wrong, then he will constantly remind you of God's voice and tell you how you are not worthy of God. Tell you how you, you are now condemned to death. Tell you how you have to now be separated from God. Things that God has not told you to do. Who told Adam and Eve to hide? Who told Adam and Eve to hide? It's the sin within them. It's the voice of the serpent within them that is now telling them you need to hide. See, that's what, that's what 
uh, the, the enemy does. That's what this sin does. This is the sin that takes advantage of God's voice. First, it will deceive you. And first, it will try to make you rebel against God. And once you rebel against God, it will keep speaking death over your life till you hide yourself, till you run away from God, till you, till you disassociate yourself from God. And I pray that this morning we will not make that mistake. We will not fall prey to what sin is telling us to do. The sin, yes, the sin deceived us into eating of the apple. But will we allow the sin to now tell us how to grow in our relationship with God? Will we now tell this, will we now allow the sin to cause us to run away from the presence of God? Or will we now do what we used to do every day? God, see, this is the thing. God expected Adam and Eve to still come back to him. That's why he came, as usual, in the cool of the day. Like every other day, God still came. See, check this out, okay? Let me ask you this. If God was upset with Adam and Eve, would God have come back into the garden? No. So, what was it that dis disconnected their relationship with God? Was it the eating of the apple or the running away from God or the hiding from God? You understand what I'm saying? Because still that point, they've, they've already sinned by eating of the apple. But what broke that relationship with God is not the eating from the apple. Because even after they ate of the apple or whatever fruit that is, even after they ate of that fruit, God still came. So it is not the sin in itself that broke that relationship, but the consequence, what the sin told them to do now, the sin told them to you know, run away from God, hide from God, don't talk to God, don't go to church, just stay within your bubble, don't talk to Christian friends anymore, they, they are going to judge you, they are going to look down on you, you know, just stay here, stay right here, you are comfortable here, don't don't talk about this to anybody. Don't bring this to the light. That is what sin will tell you. And when you allow the sin to, to, to determine how you live, how you take the next steps, I'll tell you that sin will now end up disassociating you from a life for God, from a relationship with God. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. Read it one more time. Sin, it took advantage of those commands. And what did he do? He deceived me. It used the commands to, to kill me. You know, we have to pray, Lord, free me from the deception of sin. Yeah, free me from the deception. I, I, I know so many people who have been deceived by sin. So many people who have been deceived by sin into killing themselves, into spiritual suicide. Sin does not have the final say in your life. Just because you sin, you don't have to be morose this morning in church. I know that some of us have, have committed things, done things, said things, been in places that we shouldn't have been in this last one week. But this morning, we, we cannot let that one incident determine how we will worship God. This morning, we cannot let that incident determine how we will love God. We have to come and fall at His feet like that, like that sinful woman. You know, in the Bible, there was a story of a sinful woman who came and just fell at the feet of Jesus. And everybody's like, if only Jesus knew. If, did Jesus know? Yes, He knew. And Jesus still loved her to worship Him. And Jesus still allowed her to serve him. And Jesus still allowed her to pour out her fragrance, her savings, her love, her worship to Jesus. So this morning, I don't want your sin. I don't want your past. I don't want any incidents that has happened in your life in this last season to hinder you, to determine, to have dominion over your life, to, to decide whether or not you will be spiritually alive. No. No, it is not sin that determines. It is the grace of God that is in my life, that is over my life. It is the forgiveness of God. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the love of God for me that determines, that has the final say. I will not allow sin to deceive me into living a life of defeat. And somebody said an amen. amen. Verse 12. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right righteous the law the command that god gave them that was right there's nothing wrong with the law 
the only thing the only thing that was different was that there was sin there was a sin in garden of eden there was just creeping around trying to tempt adam and eve finally managed to get inside of them and today it tempts us from the inside but the law is not bad the sin uses the laws the sin uses god's voice to to deceive us to hurt us to keep us in bondage to keep us in condemnation to keep us away from god this but the law is not bad the law is holy verse 13 but how can that be did the law which is good cause my death of course not sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death do you understand this what condemned us to death the law or the sin the sin constantly kept reminding us that we are condemned we are no good that there is absolutely nothing you know blessed that will come out of your life and that this that condemnation that kills you it is not the law that kills you because the law is good so we can see how terrible sin really is because it uses god's good commands for its own evil purposes that's how terrible this sin is now are you ready for the next part how many of you want to understand yourself how many of you feel i'm a very complicated pastor i i don't know how to deal with myself i can deal with my 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 neighbors i can deal with my parents i can deal with my sibling i can deal with my church but talk about dealing with myself i am a very complicated person pastor let's try to understand because paul is trying to open up his life okay and he's trying to explain his own life he says so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and it is good but the trouble is where is with me somebody look at your neighbor and say the trouble is with me look at your other neighbor and say i am the real issue what what does he say he's saying for i am all to human and i am a slave to sin i there is a part of me which is flesh and i'm i'm human and i'm i'm a slave to the to the, to to a particular lifestyle to a particular way of living and i'm slave to sin this this nature of me verse 15 i don't really understand myself how many of you can say that honestly yeah paul says i don't really understand myself i understand heavens you know there's a man who has been into the heavens who understand things of the spirit and like but i don't understand myself for i want to do what is right but i don't do it and instead i do what i hate he's trying to he's trying to have a conversation with himself and he's like wait what is wrong with me i know what i want to do and i know what is right for me and i know what is the best for me but i end up doing what i hate i end up doing the exact opposite thing and so so let me ask you this question the real deal here is not hey uh, do you have your life perfect the real deal here is i want to know do you hate the right things because paul says there are certain things that i hate see this is not talking about unbelievers here okay from here on which we are not talking about non christians or unbelievers now we are talking about children of god because see before you enter into a relationship with god before you enter into a understanding of what god expects of of your life everything is okay for you come on you understand what i'm saying there is nothing stopping you from doing anything so this is not talking about before Christ is talking about after Christ there are things that apostle paul grew into hating and still he would end up doing it so there is a a, a lack of synchronization so there is a desire in his heart there is a desire in his mind but what his hand does is the exact opposite do you see what i'm saying you know a couple of last week it was when dad was teaching us about clean hands and pure hearts do you remember that give us clean hands and pure hearts so we can have pure hearts but it doesn't sometimes translate into clean hands sometimes we may look like it may look like we have clean hands but it is not coming from a place of being pure at heart we can do the right thing for the wrong motive 
we can be the right person we can behave in the right way because people are watching us because because somebody is there in the room but you know you can't behave right with the wrong motive so both are important yeah clean hands and pure heart and now apostle paul says i see that there is a there's a lack of synchronization here there are certain things that my heart desires to do but my hand it doesn't do it that's why i don't understand myself verse 16 but if i know what i'm doing is wrong then this shows that i agree that the law is good which means he has gone past the stage of being of a a, a a carnal person a person who is carnal they don't believe that the law is good a person who is living in the flesh they look at god's word and they're like amen yeah, i i don't want this this is not a good thing but at least those of us who love god we love god's word right we love the expectation we love what god says about it us and we agree that god's word is good every child of god every believer every true lover of jesus has to come to this place where we say hey i may not understand everything but i agree that god's word is good i agree that what god wants me to do is the right way is the right thing is the best thing for my life okay so he's saying when i do when i end up doing what is wrong that is me actually testifying to the goodness of the law verse 17 so okay i'm not the one doing wrong it is sin living where wait a minute are we talking about believers or unbelievers here we're talking about there is sin living inside believers see in chapter 6 we saw that sin cannot have dominion over us sin cannot rule over our lives but now paul says but there is a sin that is living in me which is doing things that i don't want it to do he says so i am not the one doing this wrong thing it is a sin that is living in me that does it this is how i'm trying to explain to you how you should understand yourself how you should disassociate with the sin that is living inside of you paul is saying i need to distance myself from this guy see if you see somebody that is having a lifestyle or a habit that you don't want what do you do stay away from that person right so he's saying i just recognized that this guy who is living inside of me he has this habit he has this life he it does things like this and i need to disassociate with him because i'm not the one doing this sin it is a sin that is living in me verse 18 and i know that nothing good lives in me wait a minute what are we talking about pastor this is very confusing because you know all this while you used to teach us how you know the holy spirit lives inside of us and jesus lives inside of us and now apostle paul is saying no wait a minute nothing good lives in me but he's not talking about the spirit part of him he's talking about the the flesh part of him he's talking about the physical sinful nature of him he's saying nothing good lives in his sinful nature in my that is in my sinful nature he's he's explaining that in my sinful nature because i want to do what is right but i can't i don't have the power to do it verse 19 i want to do what is good but i don't do it i don't want to do what is wrong do you see his confusion he's doing things that he hates he's not doing things that he loves and he is missing out on the things that god wants him to do because the flesh your flesh is always going to fight your spirit you know this last week uh, my father when he was teaching on one of the cloud services he said exhaustion is never a reason to not pray and i fi- i found it very offensive i'm like you know <laughs> why will exhaustion not be a good reason to not pray because you know we are human beings right anybody who don't get exhausted in this place anybody who has like you know red bull in your veins that you can go without sleep for 7 days but then the thing is this exhaustion is a thing of the flesh and you cannot quote a flesh excuse to not do something of the spirit do you understand what he is saying that's why jesus kept coming back and saying your spirit is willing i know your flesh is weak but your spirit 
is willing. So I don't want you to depend on your flesh to do this. I want you to depend on your spirit to do this. So the more you rely on your flesh, the more exhausted you will feel, the more burnt out you will feel. But the more you rely on the spirit, exhaustion cannot be part of your life. You will not feel the same uh, powerlessness. That's what Apostle Paul is trying to explain here. He says, verse 20, but I do what I don't want to do and I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Do you see how many times he has said the same thing in different words? He's just trying to express how frustrated he is at this point. See, I'm driving this to some point. It is necessary for us to see the gravity of the sin on the inside of us to understand our need for a deliverer from the outside. It is because we don't know how big of a trouble we are in that we don't value the help that is coming to us. We just come to church to you know, hear a good sermon, to, to have a good time and then we go back. And that is why we don't value the presence of Jesus because we don't understand the gravity of the problem within us, the gravity of the sin within us. That's what Paul is trying to say here. He's saying, look at this. Let me read from verse, verse 15 onwards, okay? I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, but I know what I am doing is wrong. This shows what I, that I agree that the law is good. Verse 17. So I am not the one doing this wrong. It is the sin that is living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. That I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one that is doing wrong. It is the sin that is living in me that doesn't. If you understand this, you understand yourself. You understand who you should have dominion over. You understand what you should control. Verse 21. So he says, so I have discovered this principle. I have discovered this law. That when I want to do what is right, I, I, the sinful nature in me, I would inevitably do what is wrong. So this morning, God is killing our self-confidence. All the confidence that we have in the eye, God is saying, man, try your, all the eyes that you can. You know, I, I can do it. You know, we, you know we, we live in a world where we believe in positive confessions and we just, uh, just say 10, 15 times. The more you say that I can do it, the more you will fail. You cannot do anything. You know that the Bible says I can do all things? No, that's not what it says. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here we are as Christians believing I can do all things. I can do all things. We wake up in the morning and evening. And the Bible says, no, I will inevitably gravitate towards the wrong thing. The day that you and I, we depend on ourselves, our own self-confidence. Anytime that I have said, man, this is something, this, this is a chindi thing. I, I will never do this. I have done exactly that one thing. I will never say this and I've said the same thing. So you and I, we cannot boast in our flesh because especially when we boast in the flesh, no, Satan will come, oh really? Okay, come. You know, and, and God will also sometimes allow us to fall just to break our pride and our trust in our own flesh. And this morning the Lord is calling us to stop trusting in ourselves. The Lord says, hey, wait a minute. If you are saying, I will not do it, I will inevitably do what is wrong. Verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart. With all my heart. We have to be able to say that. That I, I, I love, I joyfully, I, I'm joyfully celebrating in God's voice with all my heart. No doubt about it. There's absolutely no doubt. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power is what makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So the battle is won in the mind. He says, he says that there is this battle between the flesh and, in, and between my mind. Only then what is in my heart will be able to manifest. See, in my heart, I want to do the right thing. 
in my heart i i delight in god's law i delight in god's voice i delight in god's heart but in my in even in my mind there is i, I want to do because there is this conviction i want to do but then there is this another power within me that is at war with my mind so if you and i we can if we can have our mind in the right place if we don't give up the battle in our mind then we will win this battle and that is why it is necessary for us to renew our mind every day so christians who are born again who have a new life but they, that don't renew their mind they will live defeated lives because what does the bible say because the battle there is a battle between the flesh and between the mind and that that power is trying to make me a slave to the sin that is within me verse 24 are you ready to cry it out loud he says oh what a miserable person i am what a wretched man i am what a bad situation my life is in because there is this conflict within myself see this conflict was not there before i received jesus before i received jesus i just wanted to live for myself everything i did was okay and anything that brought me money was fine but now that i received jesus there is this conflict now that i want to live for god now that i know what is the right thing to do now that i know what is how i should live now there is this constant conflict it is what a miserable person i am says who will free me he's not saying what will free me he's not saying how can i get out of this he says who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and the effect of sin which is death he's saying who will free me do we have an answer to this yes we have an answer verse 25 he says thank god the answer is in jesus christ our lord he is the one who will free us he is the one who will deliver us he is the tree of life that we can continue to go to do you see what paul is trying to do in the entire chapter he's trying to show you how you should not depend on yourself but you should depend on jesus he's saying the more you rely on yourself the more of a failure you will be the more you rely on flesh the more you rely on law the more you rely on the commandments that you've heard the more of a failure you will be but the more that you keep going back to jesus you die to the flesh you are united with christ then you will produce a harvest of good deeds thank god somebody say thank god, thank god. this morning we have reason to thank god This morning we have reason to worship God. This morning we have reason to celebrate God because of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. The presence of Jesus, the availability of Jesus who now delivers us from ourselves, who now delivers us from our sins, who now delivers us from our sinful nature. The presence of Jesus that is the answer, that is the solution that we needed thank god thank god we have jesus christ thank god that we have still have you know in the garden of eden when adam and eve sinned god did something god disconnected god cut off the access into the to the tree of life what did god say god said if if i continue to allow them to be here then they will eat from the tree of life and they will never change they will never you know repent or change from their sin but today you and i because of what jesus did now we have access to the tree of life jesus is the tree of life jesus is the author of life the book of hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 he says let's read this together we do this by keeping our eyes on jesus he is the champion who initiates and who perfects our faith let's let's keep our eyes where fixed on jesus keep our eyes fixed on jesus because the more more we fix our eyes on ourselves the more we will lose this battle but the more we fix our eyes on jesus thank god we have a answer in christ jesus thank god we have a solution we have a deliverer we have somebody who will bring us who can teach us how to separate the flesh 
and give us grace to overcome the battle of our mind. So those of you who are feeling guilty this morning, those of you who are feeling like inevitably I end up doing the wrong thing, inevitably I end up saying the wrong thing, inevitably I, I end up being in the wrong place. This morning the Lord is offering the help of the deliverer. Can we run to him? Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash God bless you. Have a blessed week.